This is the Mark Struczewski Podcast. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Mark Struczewski Podcast. I got a great guest for you today. You can already see her if you're watching this on YouTube, which you should be. But before I introduce her, let me tell you about my top five productivity tips it's my top five productivity tips plus I, I tend to over deliver. If you want them, it's free. Just go to top five productivity tips.com. That's the number five top five productivity tips.com. Leah Zimmerman makes hard conversations easy. Boy, don't we need this in this day and age? She helps her clients speak and be heard so that they can have the conversations with themselves, their families, and with others that will enable them to build profitable businesses and harmonious relationships. Leah, I can't think of a better <laughs> conversation to have right now as we are recording this on June 8th, but listeners, you are watching this and listening to this the day after. So this is like the ink is still wet on this video and audio. Leah, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, and uh, difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. I, when you told me what you wanted to talk about in the show today, so I do get my guests to pick the topic. I'm like, man, is there not a more perfect <laughs> topic for this time of our lives? Because as we were saying before I hit record, a lot of us are hiding out behind our screens, right. whether it's a desktop or a phone. And we're just like, all this hatred and we're saying things we would never say to people when we're eyeball to eyeball. So let's, let's talk about that. Sure. There, there is a safety in being anonymous and being unseen. There's also a way that our emotions flow differently. So when we are in a conversation face to face with somebody, we're taking in their information we can't help but be somewhat sensing them. And so there's a real person and we are thinking differently about how we're going to affect them. Whereas when we're on the screen, those uncomfortable emotions that are coming up around whatever topic or what is going on for us have a much easier flow because it doesn't feel like a person. It feels like a topic. It feels mm. like the thing that's getting our goat. So it flows more freely. Now, let me ask you this, because right now there's a lot of hot topics in the world. I mean, we have yeah. the race issue. This is June, so it's Pride Month, which I'm kind of offended by because it should be Mark Stuchowski's birthday month. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I want presents every day, Leah. I mean, the Pride people, great for you, but I want a birthday month. I, mean, I don't want a birthday. I want a birth month, but I, I'm trying to work on that. I'm not getting any any. No one's supporting yeah. me. No one is supporting a birthday month for Mark Stuchowski. But we have that. That should, be our, we, that should be what all the banks are. I noticed the banks putting the colors on. And like, so it should just be Mark's birthday, send presents yes. instead. Yes. Every day. <gasps> right. 30 days of presents for Mark. But I, I digress. But then we have the Ukraine thing. We have the political thing. Right. And, and some people are losing friends. They're losing. They're disconnecting from family members because people don't know how to have these conversations. Yeah. They go from zero to full anger in like three seconds. And, and I, I want you to help us. How do we navigate right. all this stuff going on in the world today? So the first thing to understand always when that's happening for you or for people who are talking to you is what's going on underneath the surface and realize that the thing that's coming out, that aggression, 
that's coming out in conversation, which is what you're referring to, that we do more easily on social media, is is coming from more layers. It's like road rage. We're, we're upset at that driver when we lose our shit. Oh, excuse me, when we lose our stuff on the road. <laughs> I'm not. I don't typically talk that way, but occasionally it comes out. Uh, but when we lose our stuff on the road and we 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 behave that way, it's not really because of that driver. It's because something all of a sudden has a chance to trigger us to allow all the stuff we're carrying out. So one thing is that we actually don't know how to handle the stuff we're carrying. We don't know how to process our emotions. We don't actually know how to be with the discomfort of a lot of these emotions that are coming up. And some of them actually have to do with the people on the other side of an issue, but rarely is it really about the other people. I have lots of conversations with people who think about the world completely different than I do. If, um, if your followers are on LinkedIn, if they want to go, there's a story that I wrote just last week that I will circulate occasionally again. When I was visiting in Beirut and I was met a young man and one day he tells me how he admires Hitler and my stomach does this whole uh, thing and I'm Jewish and I've definitely grown up with way more Holocaust education than I really wanted to have. Um, and he's admiring Hitler. What do you do with that? When you feel like that, we can picture how many times we want to go, what the? And then it's just, but you won't do that to a person's face, but you might just get all tense and walk away. You, and then it will come out at somebody else. But here's what I did. I listened and I got so curious because this was a young man who checked me in every day. And that's the other thing about when we see someone face to face. They're a real person to us. Mm. Well, how, how does he come to admire Hitler? What? Where is that coming from? So I asked him. I said, oh, as my stomach's doing its own little gymnastics. <laughs> what do you admire about Hitler? He unified his people. That's what he said. Mm. And I was in Beirut, Lebanon, who had a 15-year civil war. And this was a young man. I was there in the early aughts, and he was in college in his uh, early 20s, maybe. So he was had been a young child growing up, old enough to remember it and old enough to know that all his early years, all those years we spent playing in the sandbox and on jungle gyms were in a war. And then I was like, oh, I get it, right? And that actually happened to be often the theme of Syrian TV um, within some years before when I visited in Syria, that they would show civil wars around the world, which I didn't even know of because they weren't on our American TV, because the underlying message was, well, thank God for this dictatorship. Thanks God for fascism. Or thank God for this person who keeps us unified. And so I, it made sense to me. I don't agree. I'm, I, he also thought, well, it wasn't quite as bad as everyone says. So he, he had a whole different view, a whole different worldview, but it made sense from who he was. Hmm. And that is the thing that we're not taught how to do. And it's a little hard because you do get that gut punch to listen to somebody say something that completely challenges everything in your fiber of being of who you think you are. Mm -hmm. But if we listen closely enough, there's always a humanity 
in the way the other person construes the world and what the other person sees. And that's what we're not doing. So what we do is we get upset because we get as far as the gut punch. So if somebody says something about race, somebody says something about religion, these are identity things, politics too, and even the Yankees. These are identity things. If put down my sports team, not me personally, it's okay. I'm not touchy about the Yankees. Just as long as you're not a Red Sox fan, we're okay. And <laughs> But but these are identity things, right? Say something negative about my wife, my children, but it's the same if you say something negative about these things that I relate to as part of who I am. It's a gut punch. And we don't get farther than the gut punch. And when we're carrying around these gut punches and somebody cuts us off on the road or says something on social media that makes that gut punch remind us that it's there, that's that's yep. a, that's an anonymous person that we can just go at. And it feels good to release that energy. In fact, our brain is wired. I've learned this from Andrew Huberman's uh, podcast, but our brain is wired to like arguing for what we believe. So when we get to say something and stick out for ourselves, we like that. That feels good. And it also feels good because it's empowering. And when people disagree with us or something feels like a threat to something we feel as an identity or as a core value, we want to stand for it. We, do, we feel disempowered in the moment. And so anger is what's right on top of disempowerment. If we had to let go of anger, we'd have to notice how powerless we felt about something or helpless or something much lower. So anger mobilizes us. It's a more comfortable. It feels more empowering. And it feels good to be right. And if we're sure we're right, we're going to go ahead and step into being right and let people know about it because it'll make us feel a lot better about all the things going on around us that are feel like a threat. But it's not like a car coming down the street at you about to hit you kind of a threat. So you don't know how to handle it. What you know is that you have all this discomfort and unease and the world isn't how you think it should be. And so therefore, all this gets acted out and it can get acted out at strangers like you were bringing up, but we don't always realize how it gets acted out at the people we care about too. If we're carrying around that kind of emotion, that is getting acted out somewhere around us as well. What's well, a real life example for me is, you know, appropriately that we're in Pride Month is one of my daughters is gay. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a very good relationship. Now, I'm an, an evangelical Christian, which I believe homosexuality is a sin. But you know what? I don't disown her. I don't get in her face. I don't, you know, thump the Bible in her, in her face. We have a great conversation because I love her so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to chastise her, but I have heard stories. I don't know anybody personally, but I've read stories of Christian families. Someone says one of their kids says, you know, I'm gay, I'm trans, whatever. And they say, you're out of our life. And I'm like, what, what does that solve? I mean, I, first of all, I don't yeah. think it honors God. I think God's going to go. That's not what I would do because God loved everybody, loves everybody. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we need to do, and it's, it's easier said than done. I get that. But when someone hits you with a gut punch, shut your mouth for a second and just think, 
before you react. I think if we just take one to five seconds ago, hmm, okay, I don't know what they're going through. Like you, you illustrated about the car cutting you off. That person did not get up and go, you know what? I'm going to look for Leah's car and I'm going to cut her off. <laughs> that didn't happen. Okay. And so if we just take a second, take a couple breaths and go, you know what? Maybe I don't understand what's going on. Maybe I'm misreading them. Maybe I'm just jumping to conclusions. But if we just gift ourselves with a moment to stop, but what happens is we just barge in like a bull in a china shop and we're just like, in nine times out of 10, like Dr. Phil used to say, how's that working out for you? Exactly. How's that working for you so far is uh, something that comes up, right? Yeah, even in my work sometimes. Uh, I think that, that that's really true. It's interesting what you say because uh, there are no, I know that that way of thinking of homosexuality is a sin. And the thing is that most of us sin in many ways. Mm-hmm. And we're not paying attention to how all the other sins that everyone's doing. It's not, and that's not between us. That's not a man to man sin. That's a person to God sin, the way it's written. Yeah, I, I love when the people say, you know, to use homosexuality, oh, that's a sin. I'm like, dude, you cheated on your wife 10 years ago, left your wife for your secretary. That's you know, right. you, you right? can't, none of us are qualified to judge other people. But what you bring up is a because- really good point. Because the thing we judge in others is usually the thing we're most judgmental about ourselves. Mm. Yep. And that's that's in your example. You know, I have, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I have found myself opening my mind a little bit. I'm never going to say, hey, uh, murder is a good thing. I'm never going to say really? that, okay? It, no, I'm never going to say that. I'm not going to say genocide's a good thing. Really? But like you did with the gentleman in Beirut with the Hitler thing. It's like, wait a minute. Let me, let me, let me, let me investigate. Let me ask some questions. You know, what are they, what, why do they think this? We don't stop and think to ask those questions. Maybe, now this wasn't the case with you, but maybe <clears throat> you thought they said Hitler. Maybe they said, I don't know, Henry. And you just assume because we're just jumping to conclusions, maybe we should yeah. get some clarification. Clarification like, is-, is huge. The other thing coming yeah. up in what you're saying is what I often say is we're not in the same conversation. Mm. So when I share my political view, which I don't generally do, but I'm also not um I'm I'm not shy about it. If somebody asks, I'm not hiding anything. But the reason I don't is because we tend to apply labels. And as soon as yes. somebody identifies that they're a conservative or a liberal, we've got all these ideas about who they are. Yep. But I have found from sitting down to have conversations with people who are more liberal than I am and who are more conservative than I am, they're in a different conversation. What things mean to them is different. How they come to that meaning is different. How they come to those understandings is different. The same with people who are in a different religion. So I'm Jewish and I have lived in the Arab world. Like I said, I was in Beirut and I have lived in Cairo. My husband's a professor of Arabic language and literature. That means I've also gone back to my own people, my own community with very different ideas and changed perspectives and how to have those difficult conversations on all sides. And what you realize is you're not in the same conversation. 
because what it means to somebody else is different than what it means to you. So when you say, how could they vote for Biden or how could they vote for Trump? I'm taking both sides here. The (laughs) they you're talking about didn't vote against whatever your vote was. They voted for something that you might not notice that person stands for or that candidate became a symbol for. And they vote according to value. So what we don't do is have enough conversations about what we have in common and what we share beliefs around. And that's because when we're fighting for change, we fight. Fight for change is the language. And it's the way our politics work. People feel they have to fight in order against something. That's natural for us to create a negative enemy because then we have something to fight. But on the other hand, we can't have our conversations that way. If we want to have real conversations about the real issues, we have to be willing to listen and mm. hear where let the me, other conversation you, is really coming from. Let me ask you this question. September 11, 2001, a very dark day in American history. And yet on September 12th, we all came together, black and white and Latino and Asian uh, immigrants, migrants. Everyone came together. We were all one. And then September 13th, well, we started splitting apart. <laughs> September 14th. Now we look at June 8th, 2022, and we're all each other's throat. And I just think it's 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 a tragedy that a tragedy brought us together. I mean, if we were invaded by Martians. The whole world would come together. We're like, oh, we're all humans. We're going to beat you Martians. But if there's not a Martian invasion, we all are at each other's throats. And I'm like, well, if we can come together in a tragedy and help one another and have great conversations, why can't we do it every day? Yeah, we can. We can. But the vo- that, that was a shift in power, shift in vulnerability, what you're describing. I didn't experience that. I was in New York. New York all came together. I think New Yorkers are always proud to be New Yorkers, so we'll come together more easily. Uh, of course, there's their arguments. Just don't go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and you're okay. Um, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> they're kind of bureaucratic. Uh, don't get in a traffic jam. But, um, yeah, it was very different. And if I remember those days because I was in New York City and because it was so real uh, and it affected so many individuals that I knew in very specific and in indirect ways, you walked around the city asking everybody how they were because you couldn't take the subway. You, life was shut down for a few days and you didn't know everyone you came into contact. You didn't know who they knew, who had been killed, who might have just escaped, who might have been on the plane. I knew people who knew who had lost people on the plane. I knew people who lost in the, people in the building. I know people whose complete uh, workspaces were up, uh, ended and moved to somewhere else. But there you see that's the common enemy. And that's why uh, I think that maybe that's part of why we went to war. It's really because we had the sense of an enemy that we had to fight. Though we were once again separate in terms of how we thought that should be handled. So what we tend to argue about are solutions instead of the problems. We all recognize a lot of the same problems. We argue about our politicians' solutions, and we argue because of the identity of the politics. My side, your side. And my side can't be wrong, because to feel wrong would upset me. For you to feel wrong would upset you. But the possibility to have those conversations are always there, because under whatever loud bravado we present to the world, we all feel the same vulnerabilities. And right now we all feel vulnerable. How we feel about the COVID 
pandemic and what we think we should be doing in terms of solutions varies. What it means to have a, a pandemic going on affects all of us in some way or another. All of us know somebody who's been sick, who got long COVID, someone who died, someone who died because they were lonely from being isolated, somebody who couldn't visit a relative because they weren't allowed into the hospital. Whether you, whatever you feel about those parameters, whether we should have mandates to try to keep people safe or whether it should be an individual, right? You have this argument between the individual and the collective. What we don't un- talk about is, well, what's the human experience of the fact that the air I breathe in and out is the same air you're going to breathe in and out? So that little virus is going to travel and it's going to do its own thing. It doesn't care about our politics or what we have to say <laughs> about it. It's going to do its yeah. thing, that virus. and. Yeah. We're not talking about that vulnerability. We're not talking about how the vulnerability of what it feels like when there's war erupting in the Western world again. And I say that because war erupts other places in the world. We don't respond the same way we're responding to Ukraine because when they're white and Christian and they're Western European, it feels more like us for most of us, right? It feels more like That's our interesting. country. But before you too far, I want to talk about the whole mask thing, because some people okay. like like I'm I'm an anti-masker. I, I work from home. I very rarely wear a mask. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad when I flew in May just last month, I didn't have to fly uh, with a mask. Mm-hmm. No, hardly anybody's wearing a mask in the airports on the plane. But if you want to wear a mask, I have no problem. I'm not one of these people saying, oh, you shouldn't <laughs> wear it. They don't work. Look, you choose for you. But some people. Again, this goes back to conversations. They get militant, both on pro-masker and anti-masker, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. Uh-oh, I'm just going to get, I'm going to label the blue label on Spotify because I said the V and the C word. But anyways, we digress. It's okay <laughs> if I get the, it, I'm up there with Joe Rogan then. Uh, but here's the thing. Do you feel overwhelmed and frustrated? Are you under a lot of stress? There's a better way. You only get one life. So why not feel peace and freedom and enjoy your life? You can Find out more at 90daystobustingoverwhelm.com. How about we have conversations? Okay, I'm an anti-masker. You're a pro-masker. Let's have a conversation. Throwing F-bombs at each yeah. other and threatening people. What That doesn't solve anything. But like, why Why are you a pro-masker? Why are you pro-vaccine? I'll tell, and let's have a Would you like me to answer that? I can tell you. Well, I can tell you personally, I don't mind coming out in terms of my views. But I will also tell you what I know in terms of both sides, right? So- Actually, I don't know. I know why people are against the vaccine. I know why people are against mandates. I don't know why anyone's really against the mask other than they are incredibly uncomfortable and no one likes wearing them. So if you just want to find a good reason to rebel against the authority (laughs) or the idea of having to wear it, it's good to just go against the whole thing. Why not? We tend to do that. We tend to, rather than say, well, you know, the mask is really uncomfortable. I don't want to wear it. To say, you shouldn't have to make me wear it is one of the things that we'll do. And there's, so part of what's going on in this conversation is an argument between individual responsibility and collective responsibility. And we have a very strong individual value in this country of I get to choose. It should be my choice what I do. Because it's about me. This is about me. The the other side of the argument is that it's collective. That if actually we all wear masks, the virus doesn't transmit very easily. 
If the virus doesn't have hosts, the virus starts to go away. If we all got vaccines and we all were vaccinated and the virus was hard, a lot harder, there were a lot more antibodies and we had masks, the whole thing could go away. So it's a move. It's a different idea. It's a way of solving. A, it's coming to a solution of zero virus or really low virus. And that is uh, by people who are thinking of the power of the collective action. And who don't feel that it's an imposition to ask people to take collective action like we do when we go serve in the army. We're part of a collective that's taking action to defend something. But the way we feel it as individuals is, well, who gets to tell me what I have to wear? Who gets to tell me what I have to put in my body? And you have people who have spent their lives and making sure that they're only eating certain kinds of ingredients and that they only put things they trust in their body. And then there's all kinds of news coming from different sources and we don't know who to trust. And we choose who we trust based on who we like, not necessarily on where the information is coming from. So we also, Mm -hmm. we also, or, or we're biased towards wanting to know where the information comes from. So we all have none. It's all, what do I know about a virus? I only know what I can learn from experts. What do I know and understand about epidemiology and the study of how diseases spread or how Things happen in the collective. I only understand when I learn from experts, but the same as I don't understand how a bridge holds up and I trust the people who put it together. There's a physical thing I can see and trust, but we outsource expertise all the time. And the extent to which we do that can be almost overwhelming. And now when there's an argument around that expertise publicly all the time, we have to choose who we're going to align with, who we're going to trust. And so then we're going to. My my point was going back to the conversations. Okay. Okay. So so how do we have the conversations? Yeah. So first thing is you and I. You and I obviously I can tell in the show we we are diametrically diametrically opposed. Totally different. I probably said it wrong. We're totally different. I'm I'm anti-vax, anti-mask. You're pro-vaccine, pro-mask. But you know what? We're having a conversation, and we're not at each other's throats. That's right. Because I think it's okay. I I know people who are pro on both. And we get along just fine. I'm and not I, sure I think exactly. I want to focus on the conversation, not the medical. I want to focus on the conversation. Right. So, well, this is how you have the conversation. And so that's what I, what I was answering by doing the conversation. You have the conversation by sharing the perspective. So the, for me, the perspective is I wear a mask even now when I don't have to because I'm really concerned about what I might give to somebody else. I'm the word. My worst nightmare is not that I get the disease. It's who I might have transmitted it to. And, and knowing that I could be a transmitter without knowing it is feels like a real responsibility to me. So I choose to wear the mask. What do I feel when I, when there's not a rule to wear it and other people are not wearing it or when people make their own choices, what do I feel about the rules? Like there's different things. There's how do you feel about a mandate, which is scary. Mandates are scary. Because what does it mean for the federal government to be able to tell us to have to do something? And we're going to respond to that differently. So instead of just coming at somebody going, how can you be against masks? Say, tell me what, what, what's so bothersome for you about this mandate about the mask. And most of the time what I hear is, uh, because someone, no one should have to tell me what I can wear on my body. Well, I got it. I get that. I don't really like that part either. <laughs> you know? and, and 
and listening to people in ways that I didn't necessarily think because I'm my father was a physician in a way that I've come to have a certain trust for the medical establishment, although I have a distrust too. And that's a lot also what's influencing our points of view. But as soon as you start listening to the other people, the views come there because we don't disagree about the issues as much as we disagree about the solutions. That that's true, and what I what I want the listener to hear is let's have conversations, whether it's mass or COVID or parking spots or your job or your kids. Right. It, it's just stop and and instead of reacting, instead of picking up your phone and heading to Twitter or Instagram and and venting, how about having a conversation? Or maybe even before that, how about you stop and go, hmm. Maybe they're right. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong. Because if we just take that second, <laughs> okay. I know it's shocking to the listener to think I may be wrong. I'm wrong every day. I'm a human being. I say stupid things and I believe something and someone goes, Well, Mark, you know, this is not bad. I'm like, Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. So if but we gotta stop. We're we're going at warp speed and we need to stop enough to hear and think. There's so much there. The first thing, though, it, it's hard to be wrong. So I would take it, make it an easier step with just that someone else might be in a different conversation about this. They may see this from a whole other perspective. So if I'm wearing red tinted glasses, I'm going to see the world as looking red. If I wear blue tinted glasses, I'm going to see the world wearing blue. We are actually all wearing different lenses, even if the colors we're seeing are similar. And the way people see it when they are, why do we have to have pride? Don't we just love everybody all the time? Why have pride month? And other people are like, pride, we need to have pride month, right? Or women's or black history month or anything that we start to call attention to a particular group. There are people who go, why do we need this? And there are people who go, we definitely need this. And I don't think they're in as much disagreement as they think they are once they listen to each other. So one of the things is not that you're wrong and someone else is right. It's that you're in different conversations about it. And if you drill down, you're not as much disagreement as you think. And the hard, and that's the hard part is being with enough, being with your emotions enough to get curious to, in order to have those conversations, your curiosity has to win. And if, you know, you said that numerous times we're in different conversations mm -hmm. and so listener, write that down, tweet it out because she said it probably about eight times. Yeah. So obviously it's really important. I want to, I want to yeah. say something else. There's someone in my life. I'm not going to mention their name who I was watching one of the basketball games recently with them. And they said, man, there's a lot of black people in the NBA. And I said, I want the best players in the mm -hmm. NBA. I don't care about skin color. They could be blue men. They could be Smurfs. I want the people to play the best, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, baseball. I don't care. I don't want someone says, well, you got to have this many black and this many Asian, this many Spanish. people." No, because then we may not have good sports. So when people say, why are there a lot of black people in sports? Well, they're obviously very talented. So I don't want white people on the team who can't play as good because our team's not going to win the Super Bowl or win the NBA championship or win the Stanley Cup. And so I'm a realist. I don't look at skin color. 
can you win me a championship? That's what, I, that's what I'm looking at. But, and, and I have conver- I had a conversation with this person. I'm like, why does it bother you? These are the best of the best of the NBA playing yeah. for the NBA finals. Yeah. I don't look at skin color. As long as my team wins, I don't care what color you are. I want my team to win. And, but I wasn't like that. <laughs> Back in the day, yeah. I, you know, I grew up in a very sheltered neighborhood up in Rochester, New York. There's very little black people. Okay. A lot of white people. I had some black friends, but mm-hmm. the predominantly white people. I'm living in Houston, Texas now. A lot of Latino, a lot of black people. Listen, unless you give me a reason to hate you, which I very rarely hate people, but unless you do something to me or my family mm-hmm. or you trash me or some way, I'm going to say, hey, you're a fellow human being. You're a fellow American. You're a fellow Texan. You're a fellow Houstonian. Let's have a conversation. And you know what? 99.9% of the time, I get along great with everyone because I don't go there and say, Leah, you got to listen and you got to do what I do. That, I think that's most of us right. are really like that. Most of us will see the person in front of us and treat them as a person. Even if we have preconceived ideas, once there's actually a real person in front of us to get to know, we're going to mm-hmm. treat that person like a person. I think that's how most of us are. It's just not I the agree. sound bites that we get to hear as much in our news. And we don't realize that. And we get upset about these abstract things that we hear in the news. So one of my solutions is I just don't, I, I don't, I'm not a proponent of watching and listening to the news. I like to read it. Yes. I'm a lot less reactive to reading it. And I like to read from different newspapers with different perspectives because there's a different way of seeing the conversation. You know, that's a very good point. So there's one news source I go to, and it's only one news source. And this particular news source is only on Monday through Thursday for one hour. And if they're on vacation or Mm. it's the weekend, I don't watch the news. And the thing I like about this news outlet is they only report the facts. Some of you listening may remember a time when the news people didn't give their opinions. They just gave the news. Well, this person only gives the facts and they give you no anonymous sources. They will say, uh, Leah Zimmerman and Mark Stuchowski said this. And I appreciate that. But I, like you, I don't check the social media for news. I won't watch these other news because number one, if it bleeds, it leads. They're just giving you all the stuff to get you angry. They want to get you angry and upset. And I would rather have a conversation about conversations with Leah Zimmerman than watch the talking heads. And I would love to have a conversation in which we have different viewpoints. I love those conversations and I seek them out. I hear somebody say something about their background that's different. And I want to know more. I want to understand it. I think I've always kind of been wired that way. And I understand it might be different from where a lot of people are wired. It's also why it makes me good at what I do. Because when I get a, a family conflict or I'm listening to somebody, I'm on both sides. And I'm not a mediator where I don't take a side. I'm actually someone who's on both sides. I'm on both sides. We should wear masks and we shouldn't wear masks. We should have vaccines and we shouldn't have vaccines. I'm on both sides because both are very human sides and I see both perspectives. I always will make a choice based on what feels aligned and most in my gut, like everybody else. It's visceral choice. We think we're making rational choices. Very rarely are we actually making conscious choices. Most of our choices make us. They happen in our body first and we respond second. 
We also are very swayed by what's happening when we see photos on the media and the media tells us a certain story and there's no such thing as no bias in the media. Every There's no way to tell a story without bias. So instead of trying to find an unbiased source, any unbiased source that says it's unbiased is usually hiding a bias, is to go and recognize the bias of the source that you are listening to and then find, well, what is a different source with a different bias say? And again, what are the facts and where's their opinion? And some news sources blend these so that we won't be able to tell them as much because the more fired up we are about an opinion, the more likely we are to come back and listen to it. And then we get into an argument. I had a family come to me in the fall because there was a conflict in the family that had erupted when one of the family members who's very into social justice-oriented business started talking about what was happening with Ben and Jerry's that was in the news at the time, and another family member had a complete opposite perspective and didn't want to hear about it. And this brought to head all these other conflicts and all these other things that had been under the surface. And COVID does bring more up. The isolation has brought more up. The uncertainty is something we're all living with. The uncertainty happening in a lot of different ways that are affecting us come up. And it really is never about that disagreement. They have a disagreement. They see things differently. But it was really about other things. Mm. And that's the other, it's really a place for that discomfort to go. That's, I think, more what's important to notice, right? So it's, it's recognizing the discomfort and that discomfort isn't someone else's responsibility. There's always a way you can handle your own discomfort. And that's one of the things that I help people to do is to understand that discomfort. What's in it? Why does this get to you? What's, and, and it's fear. It's a sense of threat in the world. There's also a gap why we react because we want the world to be a certain way. The world mm-hmm. should just be where we all treat each other nicely. The world should be where I get to go to church and no government can tell me that because there's COVID, I can't go to church anymore. The world should be that I get to make my own personal choices. The world should be this way. So when this happens and the world's not that way, I'm like, Poof. and then you have the other point of view. The world should be that the government keeps everyone safe and makes a mandate. So everyone should have to do it because that's what's going to make us all safe. And you have that right? That's how it should be. And most of the time what we're reacting against in our arguments is that we have a sense of how the world should be. And we don't like all these other people that are in the way of getting to how the world should be. One of the things that I've come to recognize and I think is the hard part, but it's beautiful, is that I think the world should be that we all have different opinions. And I love this teaching of a menorah. Menorah is uh, this the candelabra, the biblical candelabra of seven arms. And there's a teaching that all comes from one plate of gold. And there's a rabbinic teaching that says that's because each branch is a different view member of our community. Okay. That's a little bit of me turning the rabbinic thing into, we're all part of the same thing. We're a left hand, we're a right hand. We're a right leg, we're a left leg. And when we start to see that we have to work together, if we're going to do anything, that all points of view matter, that we're all voices inside a chorus, and each voice has a reason, there's a different way that we see the world. It's not about getting everyone to our way. It's about how are we going to listen and understand all these ways. So I think the trick isn't necessarily saying that I could be wrong. 
I think that's a hard thing for humans to do, though I think being open to it is a great sense of personal growth. And I'm going to acknowledge that you have that. Not everyone may be there. The first thing is starting to understand that another, uh, maybe easier, I don't know if it's easier, but it might be easier to start to say, my point of view can still be totally true and valid, and this other point of view can coexist. That it doesn't have to be one point of view or the other. It's the sense of binary polarity that we tend to have like a very human uh, programming towards. But there's something, and that what we disagree about is actually the top layer. But if we go deeper and deeper and deeper, we actually agree about a whole lot more mm-hmm. underneath. You know, I know people are going to want to get in touch with you. We're going to tell them how to do that just a minute here because you gave us so much information on the show today. And I say the show because this will be on YouTube. It'll be on the podcast. An incredible conversation. I, I want to thank you for being on the show. But how can people reach out to you? How can people find out more? Because I have this image that people are like, wow, I need to reach out to Leah because I'm having an issue at work or I'm having an issue with my coworker. So how can they do that? Um, my LinkedIn is the best way to find me. And if you go to LinkedIn and you look for Leah Zimmerman, there are going to be a whole lot of them. Uh, unless you're connected to someone I'm already connected to. So my tagline on LinkedIn is I make hard conversations easy. My company is Stepping Stool Coaching. You can look for those things. You can also look for, I'm in Claremont, California. Um, But also if you want to look for the handle and you go to linkedin.com and it's backslash in backslash, I'm Leah hyphen R hyphen Zimmerman hyphen backslash. Uh, If you want to find me specifically on LinkedIn, I put content out there on similar topics, a lot of interpersonal communication, though I do like to come to these big issue, difficult conversations sometimes as well. The other thing I'm going to make special offer for your listeners is I'm going to give you a number that um, this is, if you, uh, my number, if you would like the guide to having for preparation for hard conversations. The hard part is real starting to realize the emotions that are coming up for you, why it matters, and what might be going on for the other person. Whether this is a political conversation you want to have with somebody or whether this is just you want to try and get your child to clean their room, it works the same. Uh, it can also be the same as you want to go and ask a donor for money, any of these kinds of hard conversations. So the preparation for hard conversation guide, I'm happy to share. It's a Google Doc. And the number to text, if that interests you, is 909, now I remember my own number, 833-0978, and 909-833-0978. I'm not hesitant to share it because I really trust your listeners will use it wisely. And anyone who sends something I don't want, I just block and I won't be able to um, be in touch with them in the future. But I now I will tell the listener that the LinkedIn link will be in the show notes. So if you didn't get what she said, if you want the right Leah Zimmerman, just go to the show notes. It'll be right there. You just click it, go connect with her. The phone number will not be in the show notes. So if you don't listen or watch the whole episode, you ain't going to get it. Now, before (laughs) I let you go, I I need to recruit you to get a Mark Strzeski birthday month. Now, (laughs) 
I really, <laughs> I really like this idea. We need to have my mug shot everywhere. And I just want tons of presents. So, I mean, it's probably too late for 2022. What would be your ideal think, present? You said tons of presents the other time too. Now I'm curious. What would be the presents well, see, you really the, want? Just the idea you know, of that? Here's the, here's the thing. I'm an Apple fanboy, but I have all the Apple toys. So <laughs> I, that's a, I, I, you know what I like better than presents is I like when people send me birthday greetings on LinkedIn. There you go. I Let's mean, do that. Let's have I, birthday greetings for Mark. Now, and not the default one. When you actually said, Hey, Mark, I listened to your podcast with Leah and happy birthday. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave a comment below because I, not the, not the like, oh, just happy birthday and send. Okay. Anybody can do that. Whenever I send birthday greetings, I always personalize them. Maybe put an emoji in there or something. So, but I'm working on the birthday month. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'll come up with some cool presents, but I'm just being facetious on that. But I'm really glad you came on the show. It was an incredible conversation. Even though we didn't see eye to eye all the time, we had a great conversation. So now so I people, didn't feel a sense of not seeing eye to eye. I feel a sense of, oh, I, you know, yes, we have, we have, we're coming from slightly different parts of the conversation, mm-hmm. but we're both interested in the conversation. And, and that's it. the biggest thing, the intention to connect. Now, what I realized is we didn't bring this back to productivity, but what I want to put out there is that these distractions of conversations, when we're carrying the news around in our mind, when we are carrying the, how could he say that to me? I can't believe she did this reactivity in our mind, it is derailed. These are big distractions. What a lot of the things that change with my clients once they deal with these conflicts is there's a lot more peace and flow and ease. And then it's easier to follow all the tips and all the wonderful productivity. I love it. Thank you for bringing it back to my home base of productivity. And thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Absolute thrill having you here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for facilitating such an open exchange of conversation. I hope, if nothing else, that we've modeled how one can have a conversation. And before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. I know that there is an endless stream of options for you in this day and age, but you took the time to listen to the episode, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to head on over to top5productivitytips.com and get my gift to you, my top five productivity tips. Remember, it's the number five in top5productivitytips.com. They will serve you well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you again real soon.